Episode 73. Hi, this is Ruth Elizabeth Hancock and welcome to part two of The Field of Light, where we talk to Betty Kovage about her book, The Merchants of Light. This is a continuation from last week. You know, and I, I, I research the same thing for my book, you know, and I, I do, regardless of whether I can see it or not, I do believe that this is real. It does feel real to me. You know, these, oh, yeah. these, these visions and images, you know, these, um, these conversations, you know, that I have with whatever in my head, you know, they're, they're so very transformational. As indeed, you know, you talk, you talk a lot about the different visions um, and, and dreams and things that you've had over the years. You know, and they're so deep. They're so, so deep. I mean, how do you get to such a deep visionary state? Well, you know, that's what every culture needs to find out. How are, what are the ways that we can trigger this valve? And our ancestors, uh, for instance, Sam Bushman, I mentioned uh, the sand in the book too, incredible people that they say for 65,000 years, they've been experiencing cosmic consciousness and they live in the desert. So they danced, they had a way of dancing and generating or igniting this energy until they said it just came up through the crown chakra and they were in the other dimension of reality. Now, many, many ancestors for thousands and thousands of years discovered plants where they lived that if they related and take with the plants, it was a it was a beautiful relationship with the plant world of nature that when they combined with human consciousness, it opens, it opens the mind. And so there are, I'm working with a man now uh, in Japan who had an experience of one of these old mystic scientists in the Rosicrucian era of a particular image, which he thinks is a technique for us that it never been understood until now, but he had a visionary experience with John D was the one. And so he, he will be writing about this as a technique. I think that there are many. Now, I, for years, wrote down my dreams. That was my access to it. I studied, I did everything I could. And then I, when I went to South America, I did work with sacred plants and it did open, it opened my mind in a way that had not happened before. And I, in America, we haven't, when they, when in the sixties, when uh, young people found out about sacred plants, they kind of went, you know, crazy <laughs> and, uh, and didn't know really how to use them safely and in a meditative place where you are with the cosmic consciousness and you learn, if, for instance, and you experience the uh, Kogi in South America and the highest part, they never were reached by the conquistadors. They have never were never found until this century. And they uh, have shamanic training in which they are alone in the darkness for a long time. And it's the other, the consciousness that teach them, teaches them. 
finally they open to that consciousness and then they say and then we begin to dance and they begin to know they knew things scientifically that we know today and there are no books so i think that we can so the great challenge today is we need to be open to all these techniques and not just assume. I've heard people talk about sacred medicine and dismiss it who've never used it. They don't know what it does. That's not a scientific approach. That we need to be open to all of these techniques mm -hmm. because that's the core of civilization. Does it know how to release that valve and realize that the ego is a reflector of the great self and it can only be achieved within and that we're all one? You know, that's the, that's the challenge that we have, I think, today. So but that's I, I did use sacred medicine, put it that way. I did uh, when I came back from South America, and uh, my husband did. But we also had experiences that were just spontaneous. My husband, who had not been interested or concerned before, he said even on the way to work, it was like a tape recorder was going. And he could hear Pishti say, you've got to make up for 50 years, Dad. <laughs> and so we, it was just flowing in on him. Mm. Okay, yeah, so you're obviously, you know, very, very uh, well connected to the energy field, um, you know, and you obviously, ex it, you, you connect with it very, very easily. Well, it was easy then. I think our hearts were just cracked open. Yeah. And, uh, but I think that, you know, it's been, that was 90 uh, that my mother was killed, 91, and then 94 for Ishtvan, my husband. And it just, it did, then it was just like, it, we were in the world quiet, you know, it just, it was such uh, an experience for which I'm grateful. And now I feel their presence, but it's not, I'm not, you know, I always wish I were more connected. And I think that we're here to find ways in which we are naturally connected my husband had one vision in which he saw that the, that the children coming, and I think about your daughter, that the children coming, if we can do our work, they are going to be born with the ability to spontaneously be connected to these other fields, and we can nurture them. They are our great hope, but we must do our work. I think we're a transitional uh, and uh, all of us grown-ups today in various generations, but we're doing that transitional work. We're learning how to to experience that world. And then when we see these children, we're nurturing them. Yes, it's true. I mean, as I've been on my own inner journey, you know, and I think the more I've worked on myself and released my own, you know, healed my own wounds from my childhood, then the more I can see that my children are different, you know, they different because I, I yeah, um, you know, and I see it like with my son, when he was born, I wasn't awake, I wasn't open, I wasn't connected. But then it was when, you know, with my daughter, I was more so because my mother, she died. And that sort of, if you like, you know, I think maybe the grief, it sort of, it, as you say, cracks you open. You, you know, in a sense, you're just so grief stricken, you know, that you you just have that sort of immediate connection to the energy field around you. And I was much more able to connect. Uh, and because of it, I see the difference with my two children. You know, mm -hmm. um, I know that with my son, I need to do more work with him. Whereas my daughter, you know, she's she seems much more just sort of naturally like this. Mm hmm. 
Well, it's really, uh, that's why I love teaching. I was teaching during the 60s and 70s when there's real renaissance, you might say, among students, and some of them were experiencing with sacred medicine. I did not. I hadn't had a child <laughs> yet, and I didn't because we heard all kinds of false information. But they were also very interested in symbols and dreams and visions and the history all of the history. And that was so important to them. So we were all kind of learning together and excited. And I think that uh, today, I say that there are five Renaissance periods. Today is the fifth Renaissance of this ancient shaman mystic tradition of who we are, even in the West, that is emerging. The scholars discovered these uh, traditions in the West in the 20th century. Quantum physics was developed in the 20th century. And we're understanding with heart math, the science that actually studies the heart and what the heart can do for us. If we focus on the heart in meditation, it opens us up that we are really awakening. We are also, and this is so important, we are now confronting the darkest horror I think that we've ever had. If we look back in our history, we see all of our brothers and sisters who were suppressed there's nothing but matter. And the only way you get ahead is by controlling others, getting money. And now we see this desire to control the globe, to control the whole world and reduce us to transhumans, you know, through nanotechnology and AI. And fine, if things enhance us, good, but not if they destroy who we are as human beings. These people have no idea that we have the capacity to experience the cosmos. Yeah. And so we're confronted with that darkness. But I think that the light, and oh, and we should, maybe I should say about that one vision, when we call this the field of light, I think because there is a new field of light that is now attached to this planet, that we can confront our brothers and sisters who are suffering from the illness of the past. And so I'll tell this one vision as quickly as I can, that uh, I, I was with two other people, and we were doing a ritual for our children, for the children of the earth, our own children, children of the earth. And then I, I worked with sacred medicine that day. It was a very powerful, sacred ritual. And they were with me also doing the ritual. And then the most, I suppose it's the most powerful vision I've ever had in my life. I felt a huge disc of light that came in through, my eyes were closed, but the disc came in through the uh, glass doors and hovered over my head. And I could feel myself just lifting up. The energy just lifted me up. And the, I, I thought the disc, the, it was so powerful. The consciousness was so powerful that I knew I couldn't experience it or I would <laughs> I'd be destroyed by it. And out of the bottom of it swirled a, a woman, the form of a woman with a white dress on just to the waist is all I saw and a white satin four-cornered hat. Well, this is a symbol of the mandala, the circle and the square, which is our wholeness. Mm -hmm. This would be what we are in our wholeness. And she came through the crown chakra into my heart and she sang. And she said, we are the light. We are the light circling around your planet. Can you feel us? She didn't say, can you see us? Can you feel us? Mm -hmm. We are here to be with you all three. 
your planet has called us and we are here. That was just, even when I talk about it today, it just my heart, it's just, it was so powerful. And I realized, she said, we are the light that has been around your planet. And I knew that they had been around our planet for centuries, mm-hmm. but that we had now the longing, the longing to be whole, to be healed, not to be pathological and egotistical. This longing for love and community and wholeness was so great on the planet that there was the enough energy to connect that light that was around the planet into the earth itself. And then it was kind of interesting. It almost became like a mechanical thing that said, we are ready to connect to your planet. And then the other two heard this and they knew something incredible was happening. And we were in a circle and we felt that energy just flow through us and connect that light in the planet. And I felt that that was happening all around the world mm. that we experienced it that day. But then I read much later that the mystics and Sri Aurobindo's ashram in India had that she had said, and they were talking about that, the mother had said, but they were experiencing, and they said it took place in the 50s, that there was this powerful energy that when we connect to the heart, that that light energy comes in and through the heart, connects us to that field of light. And then my husband had um, an experience, a very powerful experience in which he saw that he had the experience of merchants of light. I realized these are also a part of this field of light that they are, many people are born now who are more advanced than we are in the sense of being able to connect to who we are. And there's no jealousy or egotism involved. It's just, thank God, you know, <clears throat> this is here. And also that, so people are being, are born on the planet who are, are awakened to this. And also the field itself is on the planet, which makes our work more possible. So we have a lot of possibility to really look at the darkness of our species and through love and this interconnectedness to the cosmos and self to heal ourselves. This is our time to do it. Yes, and I must say, you know, I I have um I've always felt very hopeful about the future. I know that we have so many, you know, terrible things going on, but I really feel like the future is already set. You know, we 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 will we will succeed. You know, we will we will move forward like this because, as you say, there are enough of us on the planet who want to bring this new energy in. You know, who want to bring this down. And when I was reading your book, I had this sort of you know this thought pop into my head, and it felt like I could see you know sort of the energies of, of the cosmos coming down into the planet. And I could feel, I sort of, I had this sense that they were pushing all this low density fog into the planet, you know. And then I, I said, but what about the planet? How will she cope with this? You know, and the, rep- the response that I got was, she is more powerful than you know. She, 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 she will not be destroyed by this, you know. She can clear all of this. And it's, it's the cosmic energy coming down, pushing it, and then the earth will transmute it and push it back into the cosmos, which I'm sure is probably what's happening anyway. Well, that's beautiful. And I think I during the megalithic period, which came after the cave cultures, 
uh, enduring, we now are beginning to realize, is that there were rituals in which, you know, here they built these megalithic monuments, which were both observatories because they knew the solstices and the equinoxes. They knew these things. They were not unknowledgeable for, by any uh, means. And they saw the individual as the mediator between the earth energies and the cosmic energies. And so uh, I do a ritual, which I think was similar to being a mediator, is that allow the earth energies to rise up through us and connect with the net of light, these powerful uh, net of light that's around the cosmos, around the earth. And then that net of light gives up this incredible light that flows through our crown chakra all the way through our body and fills the earth. But And then the two meet in the heart in a kind of yin and yang. And I, I think that that is similar to what they probably did as mediators. But yes, I've also had the experience the earth is powerful and we have no idea how powerful she is. But I think that through us as anchors, the light can be anchored and can flow into the earth and the earth into the cosmos and actually the cosmic movement of planets. I mean, we are going into a different age in which there is not the top down kind of experience, but an equal parallel type of uh, experiences uh, in which we are much more individual and working together as a community rather than following a great leader, you know. So the very planets, I think the cosmos itself is working with us, that we're not alone in this. Yes, yeah. yes, I feel that as well. I feel that very much. But I also feel like it's time, you know, and that's why I keep sort of thinking in my mind, well, how does this masculine, feminine, you know, flow work? Are we supposed to be more masculine sometimes and then more feminine other times? Or is it always supposed to be a joint harmony you know once once we get back into this joint masculine feminine can we keep it like that will it stay like that or is the masculine going to come and take it over again well you know it's a funny thing like they say in democracy every generation has to work <laughs> to maintain democracy and i think that we always have to work to try to maintain that balance and yes there are going to be those who are just naturally you know, can can move more into the left brain or move more into the right brain. But I think through our relationships, you know, we I think marriage or relationship of, of a close relationship of any kind is that we will have different energies and that we learn from that. Why are we attracted to someone uh, else? You know, it's probably an attraction to an energy that we want to develop and integrate. And so I think uh, by relationship and community, we, we're constantly trying to balance ourselves. And of course, we're going to be, you know, out of balance here and there. But as long as we have the goal of balance, you know, it's like in Chinese medicine, it's, it's always to keep the physical system balanced. You know, and it's the same same thing in uh, with our um, with our own mental abilities is that we can go to off the deep end sometimes. But I think that there are others when we're in a loving relationship, we're drawn back and even our own energy will draw us back. But if we just have that model in our mind of the balance, then we can kind of go to an extreme this way or that. You know, the Mayans have an oracle and I think I have it in this last book is that polarity is the loom on which reality is strung. And so you can imagine that loom, you can imagine some of us going over to the right, maybe too far, but then there are others who are going over to the left. And then we're always trying to fit 
the balance the energy. What happened in the West is that we simply cut the loom in two. We cut it apart and severed our connection to the heart, the symbolic mind, the heart, the cosmos. And of course, we're going to be sick. But we know that now. <laughs> so we can help each other heal by keeping that balance in mind. And so this was this was only cut two thousand years ago, and then before that, you know, we we still had that, um, you know, that that divine, you know, the feminine, masculine. We still had all of that, yeah. So really, it's only been in the last two, three thousand years that we have lost balance, you yeah, mean. and moved into the you know the, the the heavy, heavy masculine control dominance. Yes, well, it's an interesting thing. We could go back even a little further because there was. Um, after uh, the cave culture and the megalithic, there was what has now been discovered again, just in the last century, old Europe, a whole part of what we call today, Eastern Europe going into Russia and so on. There was this large area that was very connected to nature, um, still very connected to the feminine. And certainly the masculine was a part of life. There's no question about that. But the emphasis seemed to be on the life cycle but around, oh, probably so a few thousand years BCE, there were tribes, we don't know really much about them. They came from the Russian steppes into through Eastern Europe and destroyed that civilization. And they were patriarchal. They were very focused on the masculine energy, on war and dominance and that why they did, I don't know. Were they people who had experienced the cataclysm more more intensely than others? I don't know. But when they moved into Europe, they brought patriarchy with them. So all of these feminine, let's say they weren't matriarchies, they were matrifocal cultures in Europe. And for about a thousand years, they kind of, you know, interacted. And then the patriarchy was so dominant that it just absolutely dominated. We see it in the Deuteronomist, in the Roman church, and in so many, Europe became patriarchal at that point. And then gradually, you know, there were the, the four uh, Renaissance periods in Europe, and they were Renaissance periods which brought with them the feminine, of course. It's what she had... Uh, experience. I mean, she had been completely eradicated. So always the rebirth was a rebirth of the feminine, the symbolic mind, the heart consciousness. And the masculine was always trying to learn how to how to deal with her. One beautiful story that I love so much is that one of the knights was married to this incredibly beautiful woman. I mean, everyone was just knocked out when they looked at her. When they were married, they went back to the room at night and she became the ugliest hag he had ever seen. It was horrible, frightening. She was so ugly. And she said to him, you know, I can be this, the ugly one at court during the day and beautiful for you at night or the other way around. What do you prefer? <laughs> and he, having been mature through the feminine, he said, my lady, that is not my choice. That is yours. <laughs> and of course, that's what never happened is that the feminine could have a voice. And so she was beautiful at day and night. And I think this is a beautiful symbolic tale of what the men were experiencing. Oh, we need to hear what she wants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's very interesting. Very, very interesting. I wonder who these people were that came in from the the you know from Russia from the north and came down because I, I've heard I've heard this as well that they swept through Europe, and yeah. um, you know just like just a, a, a warring tribe. Um, yes, well, they're called the Kurgans. Uh, yeah. Maria Gimbutas was uh, the archaeologist who uh, wrote about that. I knew her. She was at UCLA. And, uh, and it, it was a completely different culture. There, in old Europe, she found no weapons of war, mm. not in the cave cultures or the sand culture either. And the cave culture, 25,000 years, no war. The sand, 27,000 years, no war. Old Europe, there's no sign of violence or war. And the Kurgans came in from lower uh, Russia, eastern, but I mean the eastern, but in Russia and the lower coming in through Eastern Europe. And they did, they, they, they had weapons of war and, and they came by horse, <laughs> the horse, they brought the horse in Europe and destroyed so much. But we are those people, we are their uh, progeny, you might say, but also this underground of old Europe that had lasted for thousands of years is still in our subconscious. It's still with us. And it's re-emerging in every Renaissance period and today. And so I think it's calling us. And I feel that if we don't do it today, our species might not survive. This is, I think, the fifth time. And I think there are many more people awake today than ever before during any other Renaissance period. But uh, we don't know exactly why why was one group patriarchal and the others very connected to the land and the rhythms and cycles of nature and working together in communities? Yeah, I know. It's so it's so bizarre. And when we consider that we are constantly connected to the energy field, you know, I, I would have thought that the energy field would be flooding all of this sort of feminine and masculine energy, you know, sort of the, as you say, the, the yin and yang, both fit together. We need all of it. So why is it that some some parts of our species are only hearing one side and, and the other not? Um, and of course, you know, it does beg the question, where where would these people come from? Could they even be coming from other planets? Which, of course, is very much what everyone is, you know, people are talking about now. Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, I heard just a snippet from Patricia Cota Robles. Uh, she's had a lot of spiritual experiences and uh and her son when he was a little boy said oh mommy we don't have to worry because there's so many people being born on the earth they're coming here to help us and i had that i didn't know that until much later but i had the same vision the first vision i had after pishti our son's death i saw them being born all over the earth mm -hmm. and um it was just incredible but now, what was your question? I got carried away with that. Well, it wasn't really a question, to be honest. I, I was just, you know, thinking, you know, could these different parts of the, the world, oh. you know, could they be from other planets? Because, you know, oh, I, yeah, I, I, that was I, what, yeah. I'm sorry. I well, yeah, that's what I wanted to answer by going there and then lost my train of thought is that uh, these people were coming from many other planets mm -hmm. and they were being born on the planet. It's not, you know, they were actually had much experience elsewhere and i felt the whole universe was coming maybe it was just the our galaxy but it was very clear people from other planets were coming to help us they were being born on the earth 
now, uh, certainly there's probably mm. at various times there were there certainly were people who were from other planets. There's some incredible discoveries being made now of how advanced these other civilizations were and that they were on our planet and that they did influence us. And as scientists now see that there is diffusion in the DNA. Mm. So all of that is possible. And I think now we just have to be so totally open, not accepting of everything, but open to look at the evidence. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I mean, I suppose, you know, now we are all a, a big mishmash of everything. But um, it's certainly, I'm, I'm very, very interested in, you know, looking at us in the past, you know, from a sort of like a, a more like DNA point of view, you know, to understand where, you know, where is all our different, different, different DNA come from, you know, when you look at the, the differences between us as a species, I mean, you know, that we're just so different. Um, in, in yeah, it, it's it. Yes, it's interesting. Another thing I wanted to say about Cote Robles is that she said, and I had also had this as a vision, and I didn't know what to do with it. I still don't know what to do with it. But she said the Earth had made had welcomed people from other planets when they were about to go into the fourth dimension. And then fifth dimension, people who could not make it were not ready, that the earth accepted these people yes. to come to the planet so that they could be healed. And when I had that, I wondered, you know, could I have made that up? I just, there's some, some things you just know absolutely, but that I just, it was, I thought, could that? And I was quite stunned when I heard Patricia Cotarobles a couple of weeks ago say, she had that vision and that others have had that vision that the earth has opened her heart to others. And she said, the, the galaxy, the solar system does not forget that. They know that we are all working for the healing of this dark energy and that they are all working with us. And I know that right after our son's death, I had a vision in which I was working in a trauma center and I realized that the earth was a trauma center mm -hmm. and that, yes. and here's so many though, we're not alone, have come to help heal all of us. Yes. And I think I heard, you know, that the people who like moving into the new earth, the ones who don't go into the new earth will again go back to a, you know, a, a third dimensional other planet where they can continue on their journey, you know, and have that that healing in the same way that our planet has done to for other species. Yes, yes. She felt the Earth was the only one who had done that. I think that this probably been done many, many, many times. That out of the love of that being that makes a planet, you know, that that has happened. And and Cota Robles also said something else is that we will be able to move from the fourth dimension to the fifth much faster because they're all working with us. I don't know about that, but mm -hmm. I do, I do, I am open to that vision that uh, the earth had opened her heart to people who didn't make it on other planets and that it is all of our work to heal ourselves and others. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel very much that we, we are connected to so many other, you know, I feel we're very connected to the entire universe, you know, of course, we're not alone, there's no doubt about that, and when you consider that we're multidimensional, 
And we are just discovering, you know, the very small parts of consciousness now, but there are other civilizations who probably know how to work consciousness, you know, to their own, to their own advantage in much, much, much more um, ways that we can. And I, and I think everything is, a re- is, is about consciousness, you know, that consciousness creates the physical form, creates matter. And once you, once we know how to work with that and harness that, I think it will make everything so much easier. Oh, it'll be so different. And that's what quantum physics says, is that consciousness creates matter. Consciousness is prior to matter. When yeah. matter disappears, consciousness is still present. So we are immortal. And our ancestors definitely wanted us to know we are immortal. Consciousness continues. And we are divine. We're all divine. And we are creative. So yes, there are tremendous potentials for us. Yes, I love the way that you talk about creativity in your book. You know, I really, it just it just paints so many pictures and images in my mind when I was reading it, you know, this, this just sort of, you know, that we are, you know, and, and again, you know, when I was reading it, I just sort of felt these, you know, these thoughts in my head. And, you know, and I was sort of felt like, you know, now, once you've healed, so the first thing is we need to heal, but once you've healed, then you're free to create, you know, and then you become a creator. And, you know, we're just able to create absolutely anything. And, and it feels so limitless. It, you know, it feels such a wonderful, inspiring, uplifting feeling. And that's why I just feel very positive about the future. I do, too. And I, I would say that we create all the time, even when we're very ill. I mean, we have created the world we're in now out of our not knowing. Uh, I had uh, an experience in which I... I saw, I was up above, I saw my dead body down below. I was at Machu Picchu and I saw these spirits taking this gurney over to the great mountain, the mountain of the old woman, which is a great spirit uh, in Peru, Machu Picchu, Huayna Picchu. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be able to enter the mountain and these, my ancestors will teach me. And this, I was so excited. We got to the mountain, boom, stop. And then suddenly it was just that, that existence of cosmic consciousness I am the mountain. Mm-hmm. I'm the gurney. I'm the dead body. I'm, I'm everything. I realize this is who I am. We are. Well, the next scene, I evidently went back into my uh, self, little self, and I'm sitting in a forest and I'm saying, but I can't create a world. And the most incredible thing happened. The voice said, you just did create a world in which you cannot create. Mm. that voice was so powerful because I'm saying I can't, yeah, I created the world that I couldn't create. And we're doing that all the time. And I think if we can help our children to know who they are and the vast beauty they can create, you know, instead of that feeling that, well, I can't do this, you know, and to realize that these horrible dead worlds we've created and we've given them to our children, They've inherited our horrible creations. I know, I know. But I do feel very hopeful about this. I meet more, I do more too. people, you know, who are teaching, um, you know, teaching their children their, about their inner world, you know. And mm-hmm. um, my, my book, you know, is, is all about trying to show the science, the proof behind it, you know, because I'm trying to show people the proof. But, of course, it is a feeling world. We have to feel it for ourselves. That's the only way that we will know. And as you rightly said, the religious people, they never felt this. 
which is why they were so easy to cut it out. Yeah, and it's it's been a terrible thing that religion would cut out the spiritual experience. I know, I'm so <laughs> I know, but I I am definitely hopeful too. I'm very hopeful that, and we see all of this happening. That uh, yes, we will make it because we want to, we long to, and when you know when in near death experiences in the UK they say actual death experiences. People experience love. I mean, the, our ability to experience love, they want to try to describe it. There's no way. I mean, we feel love now, I think, intensely. But they talk about a feeling that is so beyond anything they could have imagined. That's our potential to experience it in that way. Yeah. So the people who you know have the agenda of transhumanism is because they've never experienced that inner world then, isn't it? They would never think about transhumanism. Of They think we are flawed, we are inadequate, we are limited. Okay. And this comes from the Deuteronomist inversion of our sacred story of the gods and goddesses offering us the fruit from the cosmic tree of life. It's yours to eat when you're ready. They inverted that story and know you are, because we did eat it anyway, because of course that's what we want is to know. And so they then said, you are flawed, you are sinful, and you have you cannot live in the garden of life. This, even whether we believed it or didn't believe it, this is still existing today. These people who want to bring about transhumanism, they believe we're flawed. Okay. And, they and that they have to fix us. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still the old inversion of our sacred story. It's a false story that we know we are not flawed. We have everything we need to experience the cosmic dimensions of love and beingness that we are. They don't know that. And so they will want to change us. And we've got to be sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't even understand, you know, why they would think that that's the solution to the problem, quite honestly. Well, they can make us more intelligent with AI, you know, but they don't understand heart is a center of consciousness. You know, it has to be a heart consciousness to have a, a real human world. And they don't know that. So what's best? It's a machine. And I think that's what we've been living by. Matter. There's nothing but matter. So you find a material way. Yeah, but you know, we will lose all emotion. We will lose all heartfelt emotion. You know, and we'll never be able to get that back. I mean, I, I just, I think it's just, it's insanity. It is pure insanity. It is, and it is part of that pathology that we are experiencing on our planet. It's a pathology of not using all that we are—the heart, all of the brain components and just focusing in the left brain and severing ourselves from everything else. So this this is what we bequeathed the children of now. And it's been going on for centuries. But there have also been that underground move, that underground reality of the shamans, the mystics, uh, those who experienced and know what cosmic consciousness is and that it's who we are. They've existed, now they're surfacing. And they've surfaced several times, but they're surfacing now all over the world. And I think this time we're going to connect. 
Uh, so these are, the world. these are the brotherhoods, you know, and the the, the different um, like brotherhoods of you know whatever. These these are the people now coming up, are they? For the the people from the mystery schools and things in the past. Yes, and uh, yes, and I think they're the the merchants of light, <laughs> and we yeah. become those merchants. Is that we we sell our knowledge, or the merchants of light sell their knowledge. And we pay the price of consciousness. <laughs> we become conscious by getting, you know, listening to them. It's what they bring to us is the gift of consciousness. That is the price for their work. It was a kind of a take on words that, that my husband had in a vision is that it's mother love, ML. There's so many things, miracle lovers, mm. uh, masters of light, masters of love. This is all our potential. And so when, when we receive that information from our larger selves, then we become mas masters of light or merchants of light. And you know, it's so funny because when my husband had that, it was by looking up a hexagram, his, our son told him in a vision, look up the hexagram. And he gave him from the top down the lines. And so I ran and got the I Ching from my study and went back in. And the whole vision had been about working on what is decayed. Well, we've been talking the whole time about what has decayed, you know, how we need to heal that. And so I said, well, how did you remember the hexagram? Oh, it's easy. It's ML. And I said, well, what's that stand for? And he said, merchants of light. Well, his first language is Hungarian. And I thought sometimes he came up with funny combinations. And I thought, well, that's merchants of light. But, you know, it's interesting because... I found out that in one of the Renaissance periods, uh, the Rosicrucian period, the merchants of light, actually that term, merchants of light, were present. And I said, oh my gosh, he didn't make it up. He really was, you know. Yes. I remember that in your book. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, a, it's an amazing title, uh, The Merchants of Light. And I did wonder why you called it that, but I can see, obviously. Yeah. It came right out of the spirit world. He said they're called merchants of light. Uh, and I can't remember the exact phrases that they use, but they are here to sell us the knowledge of consciousness. <laughs> we pay them with the price of becoming conscious of who we are, which was kind of a funny take on it. But in Graham Hancock's work about ancient civilizations, he, he came across merchants of light several times. So I was just blown out of my mind when I realized, oh my goodness, this has existed. And all of the times when we're trying to bring this consciousness into being, they're here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, a phrase that c comes up a lot, you know, when I'm doing my meditations is that, that the keepers of the light, which I, I know is a different thing. But no. that's, but still it is, it's a part of them, yes. Yeah, like holding the light, um, you know, so that we're all, we're, you know, we're all rising up, you know, and the light is, if you like, sort of bringing the world up or illuminating the world, you know, whatever it may be. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, but I think this is why I feel so hopeful about the future. You know, I really, I don't feel that we're going to go down the wrong path. I do feel that there are enough of us, you know, who who will stop this from happening, who will not let I it think, happen. I think that today there are enough of us, and that is huge. In earlier times, there were quite a few, but I think not nearly as many as today. And look, we have the internet, which can be used in... Uh, negative ways, but we're connecting all around the world through this 
technology. It can be used to destroy us or to enlighten us, you know. And so it's being used. And so there are people all around the world connecting. Someone had the vision of all around the world where we're we're connecting these lights are coming up all around the world and they're, then they're beginning to connect 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 and make solid light you know it just yes. this is the, this is the work of our time yes i have i've had that same vision exactly you know oh, the, really? the light spreading around the world i get this a lot coming up you know oh that's um, beautiful yes yeah and it feels very very uplifting very hopeful you know and i i don't sort of have you know like uh, bad feelings about the world moving forward. I think that things things are shifting. Um, well, you obviously have had children. You have children, and that, in my opinion, is uh, an optimistic act. Uh, I can remember in the seventies, early seventies. My son was born in seventy one, but I was there was so much I was becoming aware of, and I was I thought to bring a child into this world. And then I realized, no, of course, this I choose to be optimistic. I will have a child. And I do believe that we will do this together. And that puts out an energy that connects us to that that hopeful future. It's true. It's true. I, you know, I sort of feel that we, we create what we believe. So, you know, we That's need right. to believe. That's um, right. And science Absolutely. is showing this. You know, science is showing that, you know, we... We are um, a collective observers. We are collectively observing the, the world into reality. You know, so if we're doing this, then we just need to just make it a good one. <laughs> Absolutely. Just like they told me, I created one that wasn't so good. You know, I can't create a world. No, no, no. I can create a world. We can all create. And we are learning how to be creators. I think we can create worlds in which we do not have to be unhealthy, that we will know how to keep the body healthy. In old age, we don't have to go around with without our minds, our bodies, our hopes. You know, no, no. If we're creators, we can do better. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. I used to be a business coach for 10 years and then I've moved into energy healing and transformational coaching, you know, and I'm seeing people are being healed. People are being healed, you know. Um, I don't know how it works, but it works, you know. So there's there's something in this and, you know, it's to do with energy and energy fills and all these sorts of things. Um, it's just fascinating, but it just I just feel that, you know, we are not who we think we are. We're something very, very different from that. Oh, that's beautifully said. I absolutely agree. <laughs> yes, and we've been told that's who we are. The, the stories, the inversion of the myths that we are, first of all, our myths tell us every myth is hopeful and positive and has is a blueprint for our evolution. But when they're inverted, they tell us we're not that. And that's what we've been told over and over and over. And even that phrase, who do you think you are? The parents used to say to kids, who do you think? And I loved how Alan Watts would say, I'm Shiva. Who are you? <laughs> you know, yes, we are divine and we can, we can do whatever we choose to create. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I could talk for hours about this, but I'm conscious that we've been talking for nearly two hours. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. <laughs> we have, I guess. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I may even split this into two parts, actually, and put it on as two parts, because it's I just think, you know, everything we've been saying is just incredible, really incredible. And I love I love the fact that we're ending on this really high positive note. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there are many people that need this. They need this hope. They need this positivity. 
Um, you know, they need to know that it's going to be okay. And I think, you know, with that hope inside them, that will spur them on. Absolutely. And I think when we have that longing for love, for relationship, for community, we will draw it to us. Yeah. 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 And many, many are lost in that feeling that there's nothing and everything is dead. No. If we can help everyone around us, whoever, if we can just help in that sense of help people to know that, no, if you want love and relationship and a positive world, as you said earlier, then think of that. That's what you will create. That's what you will draw to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible and great words to end. Thank you so, so, so much for this. Uh, your book is amazing, really, really amazing. You know, Merchants of Light, just so everyone knows. I'll put the links and everything in. Um, tell people, how can they connect with you? How can they contact you? And I'll obviously put all the links in as well. Oh, well, they can contact me through Comlock, the Comlock Center. That's K-A-M-L, Merchants of Light, M-L, K-A-M-L-A-K, at, um, or dot com, mm -hmm. Comlock dot com. Yeah, I don't do this very often. <laughs> Kim is in charge of the, she's, uh, Kimberly Savater is the director of the Comlock Center. But there, uh, I have articles, and there are videos, and uh, podcasts, and uh, webinars, that sort of thing. And you can also buy the book from Comlock. Uh, and if you want to join the newsletter, which Kim puts out irregularly, but she puts it out, you can also get a chapter from Merchants of Light sent to you. Okay. Well, that's fabulous. Right. I'll put all those links in the show notes. Okay, everyone will have that. And that's just amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much again. I really oh, well, thank appreciate you. your time. It's been such an amazing conversation. I, I can't even tell you how much I've enjoyed this. Well, I too, Elizabeth, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.